Hello and welcome to another edition of the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you from Lexington, Kentucky. I'm calling this episode 2.5. There's no getting around it. The audio quality on episode 2 just wasn't up to par. There were technical difficulties with the original episode that didn't really show up in post-production before the episode got published. So I apologize to anyone who listened to that original episode too. I messed up, but I'm going to get it right. So this will be the first episode in my Scotland Experience series. I'm still going to tell you about how the golf trip of a lifetime began with a retweet, evolved into a quest, and was executed almost flawlessly with a perfect balance between planning and trusting to luck. With the help of author and golf trip consultant Graylin Loomis, who we're going to hear from in a bit. This time, instead of overproducing his interview and cutting up into clips, I'm just going to let it play. We'll do about half the interview in this episode and half in the other. Before we go any further, a little reminder that the Blind Shots podcast is a proud member of the Talking Golf Network of Shows, which you can find at TalkingGolf.com. That's only one G in TalkingGolf.com. Again, there you can find some of the great golf podcasts, including State of the Game, which is probably my favorite podcast because it's Rod Morey, Jeff Shackelford, Michael Clayton shaking their fists at the clouds and trying not to say back in my day and get off my lawn too often, all while commenting and pontificating on the state of golf as a game, golf as a sport, uh, and the business of professional golf. Do uh, go and check out their podcast. Again, that's at TalkingGolf.com. Uh, you can interact with the Blind Shots podcast show on Twitter at BlindShotsPod. You can find my thoughts and writings online at OneBeardedGolfer.com. And you can interact with me, my general life and golf Twitter account at OneBeardedGolfer. That's the number one bearded golfer. Now, on to Scotland. Visiting St. Andrews, and more specifically going to play the old course at St. Andrews, is something that I believe is probably on every golfer's wish list. Something that one day they're going to do. Or at least that's what they tell themselves. Uh, Golf on the old course is basically synonymous with St. Andrews and Scottish golf altogether to the typical American. It's one of the most sought-after tee times in the world. It's the home of golf. It's where the game began. It's a living, breathing, growing museum. It's both a work of genius and the work of Mother Nature, largely. It's a playground and a battlefield, and it's as universally beloved as any place in golf. While every golfer has heard of the old course, very few of us actually know how to go about getting to play it. Two years ago, before I started listening to the now-dormant Scottish Golf podcasts, I knew very little about it, about St. Andrews, about Scotland, any of it. All I knew is that it sounded like a lot of fun, and everyone that I'd ever met that had been there said, oh, you have to go. So it was on my list, something I was going to do when I had, quote unquote, the time to do it. With two children, five and under, uh, a job, a family, and lots of varied interests, when that time was going to show up, I had no idea. The first time that I really put any thought about trying to get to Scotland to play golf, not even to play the old course, really, uh, but the first steps towards that becoming a reality were when my friend John Mark got to play golf in Scotland on a business trip, almost by chance. He was probably the only person I knew personally that had ever played golf in Scotland. Before he left, he knew about as much about Scottish golf as I did, which is to say he knew what he could find on the internet, maybe in magazines, and on the occasional podcast. What made you decide to play Prestwick and North Berwick, two of the most universally loved um, Scottish golf courses? So I was working. Uh, I was on a work trip in Glasgow, as, as the, the locals call it. Uh, and I actually had to fly out and go to... Uh, not Zurich, Geneva, in Switzerland. So I was like, well, I don't know if I'll ever be back in Scotland. So I'm just going to, while I'm there, that's going like weekend to weekend, basically. So I said, I will um, 
I'm going to try to play golf. And I didn't really take anything. I took some shoes. Uh, and it was like, uh, it was in November, I believe. So it was not definitely not the golf season. So I flew into Glasgow, got there, got on the train, went to Prestwick, got back, worked a few days, flew to Geneva, flew, actually flew back into Edinburgh, and then, or maybe I flew back into Glasgow, took the train over to Edinburgh. Anyway, went back to, uh, went to Edinburgh, uh, took the train to Prestwick. And then that was it. And the reason I chose those two, obviously, you know, if you look at any list, it's always, those are always highly regarded. Um, you know, obviously they're public, you can get into them. And if you don't really have any transportation and you're by yourself, they're perfect because literally, you know, very old school, the train stop for Prestwick is on the first tee. It's, you know, it, the train, the train track borders the whole first hole, literally get off the train, walk, I don't know, 100 yards, you're to the clubhouse. Prest, or North Berwick, a little different. Maybe you have to walk 300 yards, but same concept. So that was that was pretty much it. It was which one, you know, I'm just here on work, so I just need to fit these in. Which ones can I take a train to? I don't really have to get any other forms of traffic. I can just get in, out, boom. So that was it. Were, did you have to play off mats? Did not. So I was, uh, I think I was like a week away from mat season. So, but it was... Um, even for over there, it was extremely rainy. So when I played Prestwick, I couldn't play um, either the second or the third hole, which is a very famous long par five. It's called like it's not the principal's nose, but you know it's one of those great English uh, saying, yeah, like a card was the cardinal's hat or something like that, right? And it was so the you know the famous burns berms, whatever they're called. The water was up so far, you couldn't even play that hole, so I just walked around it. And I, the third or fourth hole was, you know, not a water hazard, but the water was up to the green. So it was, uh, Prestwick was definitely, you know, a little bit underwater. North Berwick was not bad, but it was, it was super wet and rainy there. And, you know, as you experienced, the, the ground conditions are unbelievable. Like the soil is just perfect for golf. It, it didn't, like it was not soppy, it was not rainy, it just, you know, happened to flood two holes. He came back from that brief Scottish golf experience with a very different perspective on golf courses. All of a sudden, my friend of 20 years wasn't humoring me when I wanted to go play some top 10 in the state on some magazine list course that we could drive to in some nondescript Midwest or Mid-South location. Didn't matter how excited about it I was, I wasn't going to change his mind. There was a palpable change in his demeanor whenever I could get him to talk about golf. And there was a reverence for his Scottish golf experiences that really caught me off guard. You know, I remember when you got back, your enthusiasm for big name American courses was down to zero. I mean, how long did that that sort of feeling about Scottish golf last or does it has it ever gone away? Yeah, I don't know if it's ever gone away. Like, you know, we we talk about the Michigan courses and the Pinehurst, and I still, obviously, Arcadia Blood is a newer course, but it has that very much, you know, especially the front nine and some of the back has that Lynx look and feel. You know, they have the, the wispy fescue, they have the sod face bunkers, all of that stuff. So, you know, again, that, that one's the one I gravitate to. And then uh, probably, you know, um, Mid Pines, I think, as well, is one when we go to Carolinas. It's, you know, it's very... I guess the thing that really, you know, jumps out to me is especially the Scottish ones, but Mid Pines is this way as well, is they didn't really have any equipment, right? We have all the equipment in the world to build golf courses now, so you can make it look however you want. You know, Prestwick and North Berwick, especially like, you know, 400 years ago, some dude walked out and was like, oh, here's, you know, listen, here's some great golf holes. It's kind of, here's how we can get around to have 18 holes of golf because the land will let us, you know, play this way. And Prestwick, probably more than North Berwick, is very much like that. Even like, okay, yeah, I can see they kind of walked out here and like, okay, there's a dune here, there's a dune here. Let's you know put the fairway right in the middle of it. So I think that you know that you know, designers do a great job. It's just a natural element of it. Of, hey, somebody walked out here and said we, we can figure out how to put golf without doing anything. It's pretty amazing. Uh, other than the the natural look of it, was there anything else that really just struck you about Scotland? Yeah. So the, the courses are fundamentally very different. I think. Well, I think like I said, Presswick's probably different than anything else that you would experience, but. Um, you know, it was, 
it certainly seemed like there were a lot of, you know, not even design choices. Like you went to North Berwick, right? So there's kind of that random wall that's just there. Like, okay, you know, they, some pasture land, they built a golf course on, they just left the wall, right? So it's a lot of that stuff that said, you know, some of that stuff, especially in North Berwick, has, has stuck forever, right? The Redan, the Brits, all that Bunjaz, you know, that's a lot of that stuff has been there forever. And then some of it didn't work, right? Or, you know, you don't see it like the rock wall, the, <laughs> the hole with, I think it's like Fort with the green behind the wall it's kind of that's kind of weird right but you know i think what struck me was uh and again this is more north barrack than prestwick but you know the expanse of the fairways right it's very much like ocean or firth or whatever you want to call it big old fairway right first hole is fairway 18 you know it's very much just a fairway and then there's a green and maybe there's a hole there and they stuck a bunker right so it's the the playability i guess that's not really what they were going for but they're very playable they give you lots of different options right it's not it's not point and shoot like we see in the u.s so that i think that's north Eric. that's the one that strikes me and what's interesting to me is that the old course was that on steroids you know we took caddies at the old course when we played it and my caddy you know you talk about how big the fairways are and having options there were several holes where he said okay we're going to aim and we're going to hope it hits in this rough over here because that's the only angle you have to the green which was you know kind of counterintuitive you know americans you want to hit middle of the fairway middle of the green you know that aerial style of golf um and, and we get that a little bit down at in the the Pinehurst area where you can bounce it around some, but nothing like North Berwick, um, you know, Carnoustie, some of the others where, you know, you have to bounce it in. That's, that's what's really cool over there to me is you can, the options, like you say. Yeah. And I think the, the, again, it always just strikes me is I think it's the third hole at North Berwick. Like it's like, there's just like a, a berm, I guess they call them like, a creek or you know drainage ditch whatever you want to call it right but it's like the grass just kind of like naturally just kind of grows nice and tight against the ground all the way down to the berm and then all the way back up and it's like okay you know that's that's just amazing how like perfect obviously you can tell why golf was you know created there it's just perfect he remained an enthusiastic member of our buddy's golf trip but to me if he was being honest it had truly become all about the camaraderie and the competition almost rendering the destination we chose irrelevant. Because where in the U.S. are you going to find experiences like Prestwick or North Berwick? The quirks and the charms that he described, they were so foreign to my own golf experiences. At that point in time, my list of golf courses played largely consisted of municipal and some nice daily fee courses with the occasional resort experience sprinkled in once in a while and a handful of really really nice country club experiences playing golf in the rain in the wind in brutal cold those are things that only done on the rarest of occasion and even rarer still were any positive memories of such escapades although playing harbor town in the sleet having the entire course to myself not a bad memory a lot of fun there i digress what john mark spoke about was different and he spoke about it with a reverence, again, that I did not expect from him, of all people. <laughs> what were your impressions trying to find where you paid at North Berwick? Or was it Prestwick? Um, so I, I definitely did a lot of research because I, I was trying not to be the, uh, the, the uh, ugly American tourist. So I knew that it was like hidden inside of like a, a bunker, for lack of a better term. So that wasn't a big, that wasn't a big deal. Um, oh, did you say pay or play? Sorry. E- either one. Yeah, so pay, I figured out. Play. Yeah, they were definitely like the lack of tee markers. I think it's like that third hole. It's just like a confluence of greens and tees. I'm just like, ah. And when I was there, it was like first four holes, like raining sideways, very cold. So quickly my map, uh, which was, you know, just the, I wasn't getting my phone out and the, uh, the paper map on the, on the scorecard pretty much disintegrated. So like, I think this is where I'm supposed to go and I'll just trudge on this way. And I think I figured it out. But yeah, that was, that, that's definitely a lot of it too. It's just, you know, it's, you, Rarely is a course in the U.S. where you don't get to a tee and know exactly what you're doing right out there. It's just like, oh, this might be what we're doing. So, All of a sudden, I didn't know what he knew. But I knew that I wanted to find out for myself. That was enough for me to pull the trigger on purchasing How to Plan a Scottish Golf Trip, which is an e-book by Graylin Loomis, again, formerly of Lynx Magazine. It was time for a new daydream. And the seeds of thought on an eventual trip to Scotland were planted in fertile soil in my mind. 
That was the winter of 2016. When you got back, had you satisfied the itch or were you ready to go back in short order? Uh, you know, it's honestly probably a little bit of both. I mean, certainly going and, and trying some of the other courses would be a great experience, but just having it's kind of on the whim. Again, I didn't have my clubs. I had golf balls. I had shoes. I was packed to go skiing, basically, and that's what I wore. So, you know, kind of on the whim, by yourself, on the train, you know, hitting the courses, pretty much having the courses by yourself. That's you know, that's an experience that would, would be hard to kind of pull off again and kind of work so perfectly, right? I mean, no no hits. The train didn't catch on fire like you guys had. <laughs> None of that happened, right? Everything, you know, it's like uh, Mussolini was in charge. The trains ran on time, all that good stuff. So it was, uh, you know, I don't, it's kind of those things I would be, I would certainly love to go back, but I don't know that I need to go back. That was a strong sales pitch to me. Fast forward 20 months, and a retweet by the aforementioned Graham Loomis caught my attention, almost by chance. And the dream became once. July 22nd, 2018, Loomis retweets an account called the St. Andrews Links, announcing in the opening of the ballot for something called Private Advanced Tea Times to play the old course at St. Andrews. What? Is this real? Was it really possible to simply put my name on a list, and if they pulled it out, I got to play the old course, and it didn't cost anything to apply? Could it really be that simple? It was. You don't have to hire a tour company or book at a certain hotel to get onto the old course. You don't have to be a member of the RNA or a member of the new club or any of the other local clubs that have plain privileges over the old course at St. Andrews, although that would be nice. You don't even have to be a Lynx ticket holder. The Lynx Trust takes applications to play. It's a lottery system, and it's free. And almost no one knows about it, or at least knew about it. Here's the catch, if you'll suffer a little minor griping. When you fill out the application for a tea time at the old course through the private advanced tea time system, there are some on-their-face reasonable requirements. You apply for a group of up to eight players, so two tea times. But you have to identify all of the players at the time of the application. Ostensibly, this prevents brokering of those tea times to third parties for profit. That's right, you have to include their name, address, home club, and their handicap index on the application. Also, almost as important, you aren't signing up for specific dates. The downside is you're applying to play in a certain season. Low season, that's November 1st to March 31st. There you're risking not only the worst of the Scottish weather, but also risking hitting off mats to temporary winter greens. High season, that's mid-April to mid-October. That's the season, the ideal time for a visit to Scotland for a golf trip. But that's going to be the busiest time as well. And then there's the shoulder season. Two weeks in April, two weeks in October, that transition between the high and low seasons. For me, this was the sweet spot. It's a roll of the dice because you're hoping that the weather is a lot closer to the high season weather than it is to the low season weather. For me, I knew that if I won two foursomes to play the old course in the summer, I could very easily bring all of my golf trip buddies with me or find their willing replacements, probably lined up around the corner. Filling up two tee times in late October, with iffy weather prospects and kids in school and jobs to maintain, seemed like a much dicier proposition. So I put my name in and the names of three of my closest golf-obsessed friends in for one four-ball for the shoulder season and two groups for the summer season. That was stressful. I mean, for me, that meant choosing from among pretty close friends for the potential trip of a lifetime, which in reality is only slightly less painful than trying to pick your favorite from amongst your children. Nonetheless, it was fun and exciting just to apply. Something to extend that daydream of a Scottish golf trip just a little further down the road. To entertain the thought of how cool it would be to play the old course. 
But, I mean, we're talking about the Scottish equivalent of applying for master's tickets. Given the idea more than a passing fancy, it's kind of a waste of time. Right? Well, I know exactly when and where I was when I felt the earth skip a beat. I was standing on the back tee of the 18th hole of Valhalla Golf Club, playing a season-ending tournament in which I would post a tidy 108 from the tips in a cold, steady October rain. I pulled out my camera probably to snap a picture of the hole and see that I have two emails from St. Andrew's Links Trust. <laughs> my heart fluttered. For a brief moment, just a little moment, I allowed myself to dream the impossible dream just like I do every year when I see an email from the Masters for, regarding my ticket application. I opened the first email, and predictably it was a very pleasant rejection letter wishing me better luck next year for my high-season tea time application. You know, that was fine. That's to be expected. So I opened the second email. It was different. I was absolutely giddy. I was probably shaking. It said we had a tea time for the old course and the castle course, at St. Andrews, in almost exactly one year. Oh my God. While driving back to Lexington that afternoon, my mind was racing. I began wondering, what do I do now? How am I going to pull this off? How do I tell my wife? How long should I plan on being over there? Are the guys really going to come with me? Where else should we play? How much is this going to cost? What's the weather going to be like? 36 holes a day? Is that enough? Is that too many? Hundreds of questions just running through my mind. And then I remember, I've got a book that tells me how to do this. How to Plan a Scottish Golf Trip by Graylin Loomis. Speaking now with Graylin Loomis, uh, formerly a writer of Lynx Magazine. Uh, and what was your title there, Graylin? You did, did a lot of travel and a lot of course introductions. Um, <laughs> I did. I, I was very, very fortunate. Um, I started as assistant editor, and, and when I left Lynx about three and a half years later, I was digital editor. Um, so overseeing uh, a lot of the digital products, or writing for the magazine, and as you said, uh, very fortunate to get to travel a lot. <laughs> well, and you were no stranger to travel. Uh, as the, the book is titled, or I guess the e-book, I should say, is How to Plan a Scottish Golf Trip. Um, and in the about the author section, it, it points out that you were a student and I guess now an alumnus of the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. That's right. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, I had a um, high school college guidance counselor or high school advisor, I guess you could say, uh, who had done a semester abroad at the University of St. Andrews back in the 80s. And once he got to know me and once he got to know my interests, he insisted that, that I at least consider the University of St. Andrews. And um, long story short, after looking at, at a bunch of schools, uh, I, I decided to go. So I, I took his advice and, and went over to, to St. Andrews and was there for four years. And um, I look back on it as one of the best decisions. I met my wife over there, and <laughs> so I've got a big smile on my face. I, I love talking and thinking about uh, St. Andrews and the University of St. Andrews. And it wasn't just purely an academic pursuit. There was uh, there was a golf purpose to your time <laughs> overseas, correct? Yes, and interestingly, I, I was a, um, I guess, competitive golfer through high school, played on the high school golf team, played some junior tournaments, um, and, you know, we ended up going over there kind of just having an interest in golf, but I didn't know a lot about Scottish golf. I didn't know a lot about golf course history or even golf course architecture, um, but once I got to St. Andrews, you're so surrounded by it and, and it's just everywhere you look it's hard not to to kind of fall in love with those aspects and after my freshman year i got paired up on the old course first tee um i i was a single that joined a group and in the group was a guy from texas and i told him about all the benefits of being a student in st andrews and, and the great access you get to the golf courses uh and, and he said, you need to start a website and, and, and talk about this. And I kind of chuckled and said, oh, yeah, yeah, may, maybe I will. And later in the round, he brought it up again, and, and we swapped email addresses hey, after. Um, 
but he kept following up with me. And, and after two or three email addresses post round, I finally said, you know what? Darn it. I, I, fine. I, I will. And, um, and I, I started what has become my website. Um, and, and he kind of kicked a lot of that off, uh, that eventually led, uh, to Lynx magazine. But my love for, for golf course architecture and golf travel definitely started right there in St. Andrews. And it's, I know, uh, from listening to you and your prior podcast that you, uh, did some looping in St. Andrews. You I did. Yeah. Yep. Yep, I, I caddied up at um, Kings Barnes Golf Links, so a, a really, really good modern links course, about 15, 20 minutes outside of St. Andrews. Uh, it's a Kyle Phillips design, um, and and a lot of people who play it, it love it because it, it kind of ticks all the boxes. It, it, it has tremendous views, um, ocean views on every hole, and, and on some tee boxes, you, you're almost to the point where you have water splashing up on you. Um, but I, I loved it. It was great. I caddied two seasons, got to meet a lot of people, um, and and that was yet another way that uh, I had been talking to golf travelers and people coming over to Scotland a ton um, on my website. But then to spend four and a half or five hours, they, they were slow rounds at Kings Barnes, um, four and a half or five hours uh, on the golf course with with. You know, I sometimes two rounds a day, five days a week for for a whole summer, two whole summers. Um, you get some interesting insights. You, you know, you start finding out how people plan their trips and and what people paid for their trips, and uh, surprisingly, people not knowing what they had paid you know, for their trips. Um, so that was a point as well where. Not only was I loving being out on the links every day, but um, I was getting even more insight into how people plan their trips and, and what they need and, and what they don't know and what they do know. And, and Kings Barnes, for those of you all that don't know, it, Kings Barnes is, is a, just a beautiful course. It's part of the, the Dunhill Links Championship every year now, uh, which one of my favorite activities of the, the early fall is to wake up early and watch as much of Carnoustie, the old course in Kings Barn, as I can. Um, so you've got, you have developed a, a long background in golf and sort of a baptism by fire in Scottish golf maybe through an immersion program. Yep. Um, what led to you finally pulling the trigger to sort of write everything down and give everybody a field manual on how Scottish golf travel can work? Yeah, it's a good question. And it, it, this is going to, it sounds like I'm slow to catch on when I say this, but, um, I, I had my website set up and I was reviewing, it started with reviewing golf courses, um, that, that I was playing, most of those courses being in Scotland. And then I occasionally, I would write a, an article here or there about, um, how to get to some of these courses or how to get an old course tea time. But what really did it was answering emails from people and answering dozens of emails every week. Um, and then noticing slowly but surely a lot of the same questions coming up. And, and I, I began trying to address those questions um, in a single article on my website. So I, I would address one topic in an article. And I, I realized, okay, I need kind of one easy place that I can send people and that is kind of the, the crux of the idea that led up to putting it all in a single place in this ebook. Um, and, and that way I could direct people there. And if somebody had a question, you know, saying, Hey, I am headed over to St. Andrews and, um, everything's booked and, you know, here's the type of food we like. Any, any dinner recommendations? Of course, they, that doesn't really necessitate an ebook, but, these were kind of big, deep, uh, large questions like, hey, where do we start? You know, I, I want to go to Scotland. Um, I, I've heard of the old course. I've heard of Royal Dornick. Um, I'd like to see both. Oh, and, and we have, we don't even know how long we have. We, where, where should we start? And, and it was all through that idea of having one place to direct those people. Now, you mentioned, uh, you know, being spending your time in St. Andrews 
Over the course of, I guess, the preceding years, as you were developing this this business and this knowledge uh, base, what percentage of questions were about the old course? How many? How, what percentage of your email was just how do I get on the old course? How can you? Who's the best person to get me on the old course? I really want to see the old course. Help me. That's such a that's a really insightful question because I it must be sixty five seventy percent. It have to do. It, it is massive. It, absolutely massive. And it, you know now I, I'm I'm still fielding those questions. Um, you know through a, a number of different outlets, and it is. I mean, maybe more now, 65, 70% of questions. It's just crazy. And it shows you the draw of St. Andrews. There's definitely, it's understandable. I mean, it's the probably the coolest golf course in the world. I mean, you're walking the fairways, but everybody except Ben Hogan that was ever anything in golf has walked through there. And, but it, that's just staggering to me because I remember listening to sort of the early catalog of podcasts with you and, and Rue McDonald, you know, on your former yeah. Scottish golf podcast. And you guys really preached the gospel of get out and see these other gems. You know, don't don't just trophy hunt. Go, you know, if you're going to yeah. go to a, an open road, a course, check out the other courses in the area. Don't spend your whole time on the train. But, you know, everyone that I talked to or that saw my um, – I guess Instagram feed or that I told that I was going to Scotland. I never said I was going to play the old course. I said I was going to take a Scottish golf trip and without a doubt and without fail, they, oh, you're going to get to play the old course. You're going to get to go to St. Andrews. It was almost a a Pavlov's dog response, which was, which was an interesting experience. Yeah, that's exactly what I found. Um, you know, you mentioned Scotland and Scottish golf and St. Andrews are, are almost synonymous. Um, but they, like you said, Rue and I and, and other friends um, who help people as well, who, who I kind of work alongside, um, we do try and, and say, hey, you know, I, I know you want to go to St. Andrews and, and I get that, but uh, you would have a tremendous trip, you know, seeing these other places. And, um, you know, I, I get it. I get why people are, are obsessed with it. And, um, and for many people, uh, looking at a really big trip, overseas golf trip, and, and in some cases it might be their only overseas golf trip. If you're going to do it, um, and you're going to go to Scotland once, then yeah, I, I totally get why why the old course is is the must play. Um, but it is amazing that it's it's the vast vast majority. I won't say everyone, but it is the vast vast majority who, who ask about it and want to play it. And. You know, we were fortunate. I want to dive into the book itself a little bit. We're not going to do a, a narrated reading, but I thought there were some important highlights. You know, that really would translate to a, a golf travel book for anywhere. But um, you know, in your book, you you touch on deciding how to decide. You know, what what yeah. order do you make your decisions? For us, we did it a little backwards. I was fortunate in that I won the the private advanced tea time lottery. That's how I got an old course tea time for my group. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there, you know, we had a day certain, well, two days really, because that's a, a two day package. So we could build our our trip around that. Um, and being in the fall with uh, kids in school, we didn't want to be gone too long. So that helped kind of our parameters were pretty narrow uh, and focused going forward but for someone that's thinking about just going to Scotland what's what's the best order you know in your experience for people to decide golf courses lodging dates that sort of thing yep well so you you hit on something throughout the book I, I refer to um, setting the anchor and I call uh, kind of Either the must-play course on your list or, or the one you most want to see—that is the anchor course. So, I, for your trip, um, having that guaranteed old course tee time—that was your anchor round, and and that is kind of where you can plant your flag and then plan your whole trip out around that. And they, you know, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you enter the the private advanced tee time ballot and you're successful, 
they require you to to book two rounds of golf. So you, you book the old course and one other. That's and, correct. And I, I checked yep. the box that said any because at that point I was so delirious with Joe, I didn't <laughs> care. We ended up playing the Castle course, which was okay. was beautiful and was such a contrast so to everything scenic. else we saw. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't have a bad word to say about it. Absolutely loved that that course. I, I like it too. I, you hear a lot of people say bad things about the castle course, but I, I really enjoy it. I, I'm not sure there's a more scenic course in Scotland. Um, I, I'll probably get some hate mail <laughs> from having said that. So it, back to planning your trip. Um, in your case, you had two anchor rounds. So I, what I recommend people do is find a date selection and, and they, this kind of, uh, whether you enter the, the advanced old course tea time ballot or not, um, might change this a little bit where you could have a range of dates, but I would select a week. Then I would select that anchor round. So let, let's, let's say North Barrick is that anchor round. And I know I'm going to be there for a week. I'm going to book North Barrick for that Monday. Boom. I have North Barrick booked and that's the one I've always wanted to play. And then I suggest planning a trip kind of around that anchor course. And then just generally speaking, I look at tea times and try and get those tea times booked in. I then move on to accommodation because once those tea times are booked in, I know where I'm going to be and I know where I need to be each night. Um, and and the, so I book my accommodation. Then I get on to, to transportation and either uh, typically would rent a car or if you're a really large group or you're not comfortable driving, you could look at a transportation company. And then once everything's locked in, that's when I book flights. So I, I, I that's almost counterintuitive that that you would get the flights yeah. last. Um, <laughs> yep. But it makes sense yep. having having gone through the the process uh, because you don't know yeah until you know where you're going and how long you want to be there. Uh, you don't know when to arrive and when to leave. I guess that's exactly right. And on top of that, a lot of people will preemptively book flights and say, I, I just want to lock it in and we'll get our group. And then they'll start looking at these tea times. And depending on the courses you want to play, quite a few courses throughout Scotland will will allow visitors, but they will prioritize um, member play. So, for instance, you, know, you can only play Muirfield on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Um, you can only play uh, Troon on certain days. You, you can only play Royal Aberdeen on. So people will book those flights, and then step back and realize, "Uh oh, you know, I thought Saturday to Saturday what was what we wanted, but based on based on this, we'd actually kind of have a, a better deal if, if we went Thursday to Friday, or, or you know, try and get more of those." Um, allowable visitor days and and long story short booking your flights last will keep your options open as long as possible and you know the in the book you call it the loomis method sort of the base camp with with day trips <laughs> yep. which is yep. is i think is is brilliant and the other thing that struck me that i think I'd, it, i'm our golf trip dictator we have a golf trip every summer about eight of us and so i I, I basically am the concierge. I come up with a plan, present guys options, we vote, okay, we're going, and I'll work out all the logistics. Um, but the for some place like Scotland, you did a pairing of golf regions, you know, the, the map. Yep. I've got that saved in my phone, our little, <laughs> our little group me, you know, text app. Yep. yep. Uh, just because it was, you know, someone would say, hey, why don't we, you know, I read something about Inverness or, you know, I want to go see um, – uh, Cruden Bay. I was like, okay, well, here, you know, here it is on the map, and you know, you're looking yeah. at a, it's, <laughs> where does this fit in? Yeah, this yeah. is this is a, a two-hour train ride from where we are. Um, so the is that something you discovered through practice, or is that just kind of uh, an aggregation of of knowledge talking to people while you're over there and and trial and error method with with planning? I am chuckling to myself because it was through um, experience. <laughs> so um, in in the book, in that uh, quote-unquote Loomis method, um, which is definitely not an original idea to me, but, but it's just kind of a catchy way to think about it, um, I suggest that people spend over the course of a week – 
either only say in one or two regions. Do not jump from region to region to region. Um, and in order to tell you where that comes from, my freshman year in St. Andrews, I went absolutely wild. Uh, well, it caught on. I would say by about November of my, my freshman year, I started to realize the uh, the opportunity I had to travel and see Scottish golf courses. Then by looking on their websites, I realized that um, the shoulder seasons were going to be, uh, so that's like April time and maybe October time, November time. Uh, that was going to be when I could uh, play these courses with decent conditions for less money. And then in some cases, courses had moved to their shoulder seasons while still being on their kind of championship greens and you don't have to use artificial mats in the fairways. Right. Um, and, and to anyone yeah. that's thinking the shoulder season, that's when we went. We were there the last week of October. So yep. no mats uh, and still normal greens. You're rolling the dice on weather, but uh, we'd largely had the courses to ourselves, uh, yeah, know, not crowded. It's it really is, and it's a discount on the tee times. Uh, anywhere in Fife, you know, those seaside towns that where people spend their summers, they're all gone. It's the reverse snowbird, so yep. uh, could not recommend that enough if you've got good weather gear. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and sometimes you'll you'll be over there, and I I remember April of my sophomore year. There, I swear we didn't see a cloud in April. I mean, they, that was kind of the joke. Like you didn't see a cloud all April, um, and it was just perfect. And it was shorts and and shirt weather, and, and then it snowed the next April. So <laughs> you know, they, they, there's really no telling. But I realized that that you could um, you could kind of pack a golf trip into this golden week, and I convinced a, a buddy of mine from New Zealand that we were going to play. 13 golf courses in eight days. This is the absolute opposite of everything I encourage people to do now. But 13 golf courses in eight days. Uh, so everything from Turnberry to Cruden Bay. And oh, we were wow. going to, yeah, we were going to pack it all into a week. And wh- where this gets even crazier is we didn't have a car. <laughs> so we, we took public transportation literally everywhere to get 13 courses in this kind of just over a week period and we we packed it all in taking trains and buses and um we we ended up getting rides from from people we didn't actually hitchhike but people saw us walking from train stations to golf courses and and gave us rides and by about the fourth day i couldn't even tell you you know, which course we had played day one. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that sounds crazy, but it, it was so tiring and we were seeing so many golf courses and so many holes that the entire thing was just this blur. And over the years, I, I, I was lucky to revisit those courses and I was amazed that I almost didn't remember any of the holes from that trip. And, and while I could check those off some some kind of bucket list in my head, I hadn't really taken those courses in and soaked them in. So I, I realized early on, fortunately, um, that, that that is not the right way to do it. And I was lucky enough to be living there where I could go revisit those courses. But for that once-in-a-lifetime trip where you're going over there and it might be your only time you play golf in Scotland. It, it would be a real shame to kind of have the, the muddied memories of kind of frantically running to catch a train or frantically getting in a van to drive to the next course and you're tired and you wake up and it's just not the right way to do it. Well, and that was one of the easiest sells to, to my group. Um, I was pretty firm about the, you know what, we can – what we did is we had one tea time per day for our seven days and mm-hmm. set it up. We were playing in places in uh, Fife and in East Lothian where if we wanted to go back out, great. But if weather or back aches or something uh, or just plain fatigue, you know, somebody didn't want to go out, 
then we wouldn't. And the you spend some time in the book talking about the avoiding the the dine and dash, which was really just invaluable. We had more fun. We on our we did play Carnoustie. We flipped a coin between the the King's Barns experience or getting up to Carnoustie, and we took the we took a. a Exceedingly early train, so we got there before the pro shop even opened. So we go next door. Love it. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> we took the five thirty train out of Edinburgh because wow. we, because we didn't want to be late. Yeah, um, and we woke up, and this is the day that we were moving from. We we did hotels in Edinburgh the day of arrival and the day before our flight. So we wanted to sleep in a you know a nice comfy Americanized bed. You know. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the time we did base camp in St. Andrews. Well, we caught Carnoustie on our our transport day, so we get off the train platform at six thirty in the morning. The wind is howling. It's it's dark, and here are these three bumbling Americans dragging their hard case, their, their hard golf cases, and their luggage. Um, Thank, thank goodness there was about a 17-mile-an-hour winter. We would have woken up the whole village, and they would have thrown fish at us. Um, but, I'm picturing that in my head. I, uh, and you know what that walk is from that train oh, station yeah. to the course. It's not It's not. It's not long. It's nice doable. Yeah. It's doable. Let's put it that way. But we get there, and so the – we store our stuff in the locker room. We go over to the hotel and have breakfast, and we had the nicest time just sitting in the, the little restaurant with plaid furniture and matching carpet and watching people go off the first tee and the, the cold wind was just you know kind of a calm before the storm. And yep. then after our round, we that was the first place we took caddies. And I think they were all members of the Carnoustie Club. So instead of, you know, we're starving after our, our round, and they say, hey, go over to the club. They'll take care of you. So we go over, and the captain is is there that day, and he's making the rounds. And we just had so much fun talking with him. He showed us all of their Ben Hogan memorabilia, talked about their sister clubs in the States and all around the world. And it was so nice just to kind of catch our breath and relax rather than worrying about catching that next train and and getting to Montrose or, you know, somewhere trying to catch someplace on the way to St. Andrews just to sit and have some fisherman's pie and something to drink and kind of relive the Carnoustie experience was was so much better than you know even playing you know one of the other Carnoustie courses so that's people Definitely. need to read that chapter twice <laughs> I, I agree i agree and, and imagine the missed opportunity hey, to have a, a caddy or somebody in the group say hey let me show you my my home club let, let me take you back for a pint and you say Oh, you know, we'd love to, but no, sorry, but we've got to run. <laughs> exactly. It's just the, the, the opportunity you would have missed. So I, uh, I, I can't emphasize that enough. It really is a good point. And one of the, the other things I wanted to highlight from the book is you do a, a wonderful job, I think, right, at, right up front of sort of sorting out the courses that people may have heard of or they may have gotten on a website of, of best Scottish courses and looked at because there's no shortage of information out there. But you do a, a nice job of sort of breaking down the, the championship courses and the kind of pairing them with local gyms. It's almost like you've created a menu there for, for golfers. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Yeah, well, I, I think that it can be confusing. Um, you know, oftentimes people know about the the Open Championship courses. You see them on TV, um, and exactly like you said, uh, oftentimes somebody in the group will say, "Hey, um, you know, I, I heard about Cruden Bay. Could we tack that on?" Or better yet. Um, somebody will say, Hey, we're going to, the only available tea time was 7 a.m. at, at Cruden Bay. And, and we have the rest of the day uh, afterward to, to either relax or play another round. Where could we go? And th- there really isn't a terrific resource online where you can see or, or kind of hear a trusted voice say, well, no, here is a really good place to play afterward, or these courses pair up well. Um, these courses look like they might, but, but they really don't. Um, and, you know, that goes back to the, the emails that I was getting. One of the really, really common emails was, hey, we were going to play Carnoustie. <clears throat> where where could we play that afternoon or where could we play beforehand? We couldn't get, you know, but, but a 4 p.m. tea time. Um, and I was answering variations of that question over and over and over, uh, and it kind of drilled home. Okay, here is here is you know something I need to address. When you publish the book again, it's an ebook. Uh, I 
I don't know. Did you make yourself a, a printed copy? Do you have something on your shelf just for for TV interviews and, and perspective? <laughs> I don't, but but I need to. I, I it's funny. My wife and I moved recently, and um, and I found I printed. I, I don't know why I do this, but if I'm ever editing something or proofreading something, I really like to print it out and have a physical copy. And I found three or four full printed copies of the book just from a Word document um, that I had gone through and just had chicken scratch all over and I had sent them to friends and they had marked them up. So I, I don't have a pretty copy, but I do have these um, kind of priceless, priceless yeah. notes. Hemingway's <laughs> exactly. handwritten exactly. notes. Yep. <laughs> We're going to stop our interview with Graylin for now. Uh, in our next installment of the Scotland Experience series, we'll hear the second half of our Graylin Loomis interview. And I'll also start detailing how all of the planning played out what worked, what didn't, what I liked, what I'd do differently, and so on and so forth. Uh, again, a very sincere thank you to Graylin Loomis for chatting with me. He was incredibly gracious with his time. Uh, if you have any inkling for a Scottish golf trip, do check out his website, graylinloomis.com, and I highly, highly recommend his ebook, How to Plan a Scottish Golf Trip. You can find it for yourself on his website. Also, it's available on Amazon. Uh, as he mentioned, while the book is a how-to manual specific to Scotland. There are plenty of ideas and tenets uh, within it that apply to golf trips in general. Hey, thanks for stopping by this episode of the Blind Shots podcast. Uh, I hope that you liked it better than what you heard last time. A reminder that you can interact with the show on Twitter at BlindShotsPod or on the web at BlindShotsPodcast.com. There you'll be able to download episodes of the show directly onto your favorite podcast playing device. You can also download the show from feeds at iTunes, Google Podcasts, Blueberry, Stitcher, Player FM, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Well, we're working on the Spotify bit. Be patient. I hope you liked what you heard here. Again, I hope you liked it more than what you heard last time. And that you'll subscribe and share an episode with your friends or blast it out on your social media feed. If you didn't like what you heard here, that's fine too. Sorry about that. Uh, the pertinent links from today's show can be found on the blog over at onebeardedgolfer.com, so give that a look. Uh, also, they should be in the show notes. Hopefully, we've got that worked out now. So again, we'll be speaking about Scotland again in the future. We'll have some more material uh, in that series, the planning, the logistics. Also, we'll eventually get to talking about the courses uh, and how much fun we had. But we also have some non-Scotland stuff on the horizon. Uh, we'll be talking... A little bit about some programs and events that are coming up this year uh, and some more things that are interesting outside of just this mythical trip to Scotland. So again, I'm David Hill. Thank you for tuning in to the Blind Shots podcast. We'll see you next time. But until then, do choose to go for it and take dead aim. <laughs>